0: You're listening to the Metro L.A. Podcast, an official podcast of the L.A. International Church of Christ. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the class. Uh, Welcome to the conference. And uh, uh, My name is Robert Carrillo, and I'm very excited about sharing with you uh, this afternoon uh, or this morning, depending on what time you see this course, uh, this class. Uh, The class title is Living and Active. The Art of Being Transformed by God's Word. And there are a few things in life that I am more excited about and enjoy more than studying God's Word and uh, really digging into Scripture. And this class is particularly important. Uh, Not only encompasses all that I've learned in 39 years of being a disciple of Jesus, but also and especially the things I've learned the last couple of years about spirituality and spiritual formation. And I'm super excited about it. Our, uh, we're going to jump right on in. Our text that we will be launching with is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, I love this scripture. It was one of the very first scriptures I learned in the Bible. And probably if your background is International Churches of Christ, it's probably one of the first scriptures you learned and memorized in the Bible. And it is just so full and in, in, in many ways represents, my, for me, my spiritual journey as I've grown in my understanding and my application of this very scripture. And so I was excited to use this as a launching point for our class as well as Drawing the title out of it. So we're going to do a quick breakdown to unpack this scripture and then launch from there. Uh, We'll do a little uh, philological criticism here and looking at the language. Um, And we read it again. For the word of God is alive and active. Some of you probably remember it in the older NIV as living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And uh, if we go into the Greek and this is where just, you know, you, you got to love scripture. How it, it, It's like a treasure box. You open up and it's just full of jewels. You know? And there are some fantastic jewels in here. If we look at the very first line in the Greek, Zon gar hologos tu theo kai energes kai tom Let me just stop there. Uh, Already two two of the words that just jump out, and these are key words for us in this study, is of course, zoe, which is life, and energes, which is energy. And zoe, of course, probably a lot of us already know that there are two key words in, in, in Koine Greek that are used for life, and that is bios, which all living creatures have bios trees have bios insects have bios but there's another word soe, that means much more than that it is the quality of life the meaning of life the the joie de vivre you know the 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 purpose of life the joy of life this is the word jesus used when he promises to bring us life life to the full that soe, the meaningful joyful purposeful life the life that we were designed to live as creations of God as the children of god as 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 those made in the image of God this is zoe and the Bible gives us zoe it gives us life it gives us uh, what is meaningful what is important what really matters what on our dying on our deathbed what we are going to most Rejoice in and be grateful for. We, nobody regrets living Zoe or having Zoe. Everyone cherishes Zoe. It's the it's the connection, the joy of life, and this the Bible says is what the Bible gives us. It's what the Word of God gives us. Zoe and energy, the power, the the strength, the the energy necessary to carry out this life and to live this life. And many of us, when we uh, first approached scripture or, or learned it as, as as youth, it began to have an impact on us. Many of us who learned it later in life, maybe in college or as adults, it was a dynamic force in changing our lives and changing how we thought, how we felt, how we approached life, and just gave us a resurgence of energy, of how we live, right? But he goes on and he talks about it being a double-edged sword and how it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And I love this because, you know, he of course soul and spirit, Suche and Nelma, uh the the the, the innermost, the invisible. It, he talks about the spirit, the the um the joints and marrow, our bodies, uh what what is what is un- what we cannot see right it's there it's visible but we cannot see it and then of course he talks about uh, thoughts and attitudes um and and actually attitudes of the heart so here's our mind and our heart which of course goes back to the shema prayer to how are we supposed to love god with all our hearts our minds our souls and our body with with our selves right with our very self and and how we love God, how we connect to God. It's not just a mental connection. It's not just a rational connection, but it is a connection of all that we are, all that 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 is our being, our consciousness, connects on every level, mind, body, and soul. And that's what the Word of God connects with. That is what bring, the Word of God brings life to and energy to. And that's just, I just love this. It's like a diving board of as we jump into spiritually connecting to God's word for transformation, right? It's important to understand the power of God's word. In Genesis 1, God says, let there be light and there was light. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, we know that, that the Bible is the written word of God and Jesus is the living word of God. But note how the, the, the power that comes out of merely his word, his word. You know, when, when many of us study the Bible early in life or at whatever point you came around to making a decision to be a disciple of Jesus, it impacted us. It wasn't merely the transformation of uh, the, the, the transfer of information. It wasn't merely a logical or rational argument. It was much more than that. It was transformative. It changed us dramatically. It changed us from the inside out. That is the power of God. That is the energies energies of God. That is what we're talking about. And I think oftentimes we, we look at our Bibles and we think of our Bibles as just a really good book. And yes, it's from God and yes, it's valuable, but we don't understand the very words written in it are transformative. They are powerful. The entire creation was made merely at the word of God. He spoke and it was so. And it says in, in, in Hebrews that he sustains all things by his powerful word, all things, the electricity that is Surging through this light, that's launching photons that give us light. the The sun that warms the earth, the air that we breathe, the energy necessary for our lungs to expand and contract, the energy necessary for our heart to beat. Our entire lives, all of that is sustained by the powerful word of God. Life itself is sustained by the power of the word of God. So, so how big is this? How important is this? You know, in Nehemiah. 8, I, this is one of the the classic. In most uh, just wonderful scenes in Scripture. We read in, in Nehemiah 8, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And you remember that that Ezra and Nehemiah had returned to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall. And they found the book of the law. So all the people, they gather everybody together. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. seen here. They find the book of the law. They can't wait to hear it. Obviously, this is not just a book. Obviously, this is not just a gathering of information. This represents so much more. And they stood up and they read from the book from morning till noon. And, And I love this. It says all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Anybody who even could understand was there to try to understand, to try to experience this incredible event. And I think oftentimes we just don't understand how valuable the Bible is, how valuable the Word of God is. I love, I remember going to an Orthodox synagogue, and when the Torah was brought out, everybody stood up. And they marched around holding up the Torah, and people kissed the 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 wrappings and the and the gold tassels and it was just such a reverence and respect for the word of God and I thought I think I've got two or three Bibles thrown in my trunk of my car. I, I just need to under remember how valuable the word of God is and what it truly means. I want to just, just take a second here and absorb that and think about that. How incredibly valuable the word of God is in our life. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Public reading. Of course, the early church most likely followed the pattern of the synagogue, right, where they would have time to read from the history, from the law, from the, the, the books of wisdom, from the Torah, the Tanakh, right? and 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 that was built into the time together that was the centerpiece that was what was so incredibly important and i believe that this this same pattern was carried through into the early church and that's incredibly important because i think sometimes we f- we forget or we fail to realize that that reading scripture was really an elite privilege in many ways bibles were rare and pretty exclusive uh you, you 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 know you you had the issue that in the early days in the first centuries of course there were a limited number of copies and everything was copied by hand all the way up until gutenberg invented the printing press so every bible had to be hand written you, of course as time went by you had the language challenge that that the bible was written in hebrew and in greek even if you had the septuagint you, you still had to know koine greek and this was at in the beginning the common language but as time went by uh it became less and less so and latin dominated in in the european world at least and and so language became a bigger and bigger issue as time went by and then of course even if you did understand the language Literacy was a major challenge. It was not. Uh, it was not something that not everybody could read. In fact, very few had the privilege and the blessing of having an education. And and as time went by, it actually for a while became even less number. The numbers of people who were literate, uh, and even later on, when the Bible was translated into Latin, Latin slowly became a a dying language and a language of the rich and the elite and the highly educated and and so of course you know printing was an issue until the invention of the printing press by gutenberg when when bibles began to be printed and not only printed but printed in the vernacular printed in local languages of course he printed it into german which made it suddenly accessible to everybody which led to the protestant reformation a it started a revolution just the ability to be able to read the bible but Even so, for up until recently, up until several hundred years ago, the first 1,500 to 1,800 years, it was simply cost prohibitive. Bibles were so expensive because of all the things I just mentioned. And so most of the time when we talk about hearing the word of God or listening to the word of God, it's because it was being read to people. It was being read in the service. It was being read by those few, or it had to be memorized. Memorized. And that was the best way to be able to take the Bible home, was to take it home in your mind, was to be able to memorize scripture. So because so much was dependent on listening, the art of listening was vitally important. The ability to pay attention and hear something. Listening skills were, were premium, and especially in the ancient world, because it was less visual, we, obviously we didn't have screens, we didn't have media, we didn't have all these other methods of communication we do now. It was oral, it was through spoken word or things being read. So listening skills were incredibly important. Our ability to pay attention, to not be distracted. Our ability to focus our minds on what is being said on the things that are being shared. There are so many things, so many gems in the scriptures that one only catches through careful mindfulness, through careful listening, right? The ability to pay close attention, mindfulness, the ability to be in the present, to be present at the reading of scripture, to be present when you're with your Bible, the ability to, 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 well, our level of receptivity, how open we are, how receptive we are. How, how 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 much do we allow the word of God to enter our hearts and change us? Of course, that's what the parable of the sower is all about, is our receptivity, right? Our responsiveness. What do we do with that? Do we allow it to change us? Do we allow it to convict us, to cut us, to open us, to inspire us, to move us, to heal us, to help us? I mean, how receptive are we and how responsive are we? Are we able to be silent, inner silence and outer silence, to quiet our minds and focus? Or are our minds just racing and we're not really paying attention? We're not really listening. I wonder sometimes as I'm teaching and preaching what people are thinking about. And you can clearly see sometimes they're on their computer reading emails or looking at different things and it's 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 it is the challenge of of the 21st century the ability to be silent both inner silence and outer silence john 14:26 jesus said something very powerful he said but the holy spirit will come and help you because the father will send the spirit to take my place the spirit will teach you everything the spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. My question is, how does that happen? How does that happen? How does the Spirit speak to us? Well, the most obvious is the Spirit inspired the authors of the New Testament, of the Bible. The Spirit moved them to write and record everything that Jesus had said to them, or the things that, many of the things, not everything, but But the important things that Jesus said to him that we need to know. So this is the Spirit speaking to us. But we also know it's more than that. We know that the Spirit can put things on our hearts. That he can whisper to us. He doesn't always necessarily shout to us. And there are many ways that he can communicate with us. And we have to be aware of that. That's not something we generally think about. It's not something we generally are aware of. Um, I love this classic scene, another classic scene. This one's in First 1 Kings 19 with Elijah. And you know the story. Elijah was was basically broken, burned out, tired, exhausted. And he runs all the way to Mount Horeb. And it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart And shattered the rocks before the Lord But the Lord was not in the wind After the wind there was an earthquake But the Lord was not in the earthquake After the earthquake came a fire But the Lord was not in the fire And after the fire came a gentle whisper A gentle whisper When Elijah heard it He pulled his cloak over his face And went out and stood at the mouth of the cave What was the point here? To pay close attention. To be aware of God's presence. To be aware of all that God is doing. To listen carefully. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the great wind. It wasn't in the fire. It was simply, he was communicating in a gentle whisper. A whisper that we will only hear if we're paying close attention attention. So our listening skills are a premium. Our listening skills are vitally important. And probably, I think, maybe never so much so as in this century, the 21st century, because we live in such a distracted world. We are bombarded constantly. We are constantly being drawn away with our attention. Our phones are constantly sending us information constantly sending us communications we look at screens all the time who, that just bombard us and all the social media is fighting for our attention in fact attention is the it is it is the commodity of the 21st century is to win your attention and in the midst of all this chaos of information is the gentle whisper of god We live a hurried life. Ronald Roheiser said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. There's so much information, so many things coming at us. And he said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Ruth Haley Barton, another one of my favorite authors, said to walk without rushing, eat without gulping, and pray without looking at our watches. And here's the contemplative life here is the attitude and the mindset to approach scripture with to slow down to pay attention uh one of one of the, a recent reading one of uh, 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 just a, a very inspiring encouraging convicting uh, telling book john mark homer's the ruthless elimination of hurry he talks about the goldfish having an average attention span of 9 seconds and currently people having an average attention span of 8 seconds. In other words, a a goldfish pays better attention than we do. I don't know who did that research or where it came from, but we know it is at least somewhat true, if not entirely true, of us. Attention spans have become increasingly less and less and less, or decreasing steadily. Uh, There was a classic book from the 1960s from a theologian uh um kosoku Kayama, who uh, a Japanese theologian who wrote a book that had a great impact, The Three Mile an Hour God, where he speaks of how Jesus uh being an ordinary person, scripture says, right, that there was nothing extraordinary about him in his appearance or or what he did and in that sense, his physical side. And he walked the and if the average pace of a human is 3 miles an hour this is probably what jesus walked and if you want to walk with jesus you have to slow down and walk with him we live in a world that speed walks to everything is constantly in a hurry constantly rushing from thing to thing trying to get everything done we live in a world where people wake up and they cannot possibly get everything done that has to be done in a day and we invent things to 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 save time, and yet we fill up our time with more things to do. And, and, and we're at a constant loss, a scarcity of time. And he talks about just slowing down and not walking ahead of Jesus. John Ortberg, quote, he says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed And preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. The danger of just skimming through life, the danger of being in a hurry and missing what is actually important, what actually matters, failing to live according to our own priorities, especially as Christians. Where we can say, what is truly important to me is God and my relationship and and my spirituality. And yet, let those things squeeze out of our lives. Because of all the other lesser important things. You know, this was the challenge of Jesus to the Pharisees. Do not neglect. He said, you should have not neglected the former things and practiced the latter things. Right? We should have not neglected the latter things. And perform the the, the important things. What really matters. What really counts before God. I think that is one of the great challenges. Of modern Christianity. Is living up to what we've already attained. Living up to our own. Our own. uh, uh, Priorities. A deeper understanding is required. And I think. I think sometimes we have to just stop. And think about. Why do we have the Bible? What is the purpose of the Bible? We generally understand that it, it's it, it provides us information, it provides us direction, it gives us encouragement, it, 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 it generously gives wisdom. It's full of safety and protection in life. And those are all those things are absolutely true. Sometimes we read it to win an argument, to confirm our beliefs, to amass knowledge, because we just want to be in the know, to solve a problem, or to know the answers that people. Are asking questions of, and, and 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 generally, this is a posture of looking for something. We approach our the scriptures looking for something, right? And thinking about the purpose of the Bible, uh, you know, is it is it an owner's manual, a guide to success, a self help book, a self improvement, a how to book? I mean, this is all those elements can be found in there. But is that the purpose of the Bible? Uh, many approach the bible with the attitude of tell me what to do what is required they see the bible as a book of rules what you can do what you cannot do or maybe even as a 12 step program how do i get out of addiction how do i get out of out of anger how do i and and and, and of course those elements are there right it's a promise book the bible has hundreds of promises from god there are literally Bibles that are called the Promise Bible or books written with just the promises of God. And again, it's still, it's looking for something. It's, and of course, we live in a very consumer-driven world, in a very consumer-driven culture. So, of course, it's going to be natural we approach the Bible with that same consumerism. What can I get out of it? Well, how is this going to bless me? What is this going to do for me? And yet there are deeper purposes. The purpose of the Bible is also, and maybe more importantly, for intimacy. It is a love letter from God. It is a letter of expression of love. It is how God communicates his love and his devotion to us. This was such a huge part of Jesus' ministry, was creating that intimacy, helping us understand the prodigal son's father, helping us understand God's posture towards us, inviting us to call him Abba, which is more than just daddy. It is the term used in a close, affectionate relationship. It is about influence. It's what influences how we think, which influences how we feel, which influences how we act. It has an impact on us. We know this because the more we read the Bible, the more it influences us. It's about transformation and fulfillment of God's promise that he takes the heart of stone out and places a heart of flesh. That he helps us not only to be more loving, but to have more love. Not only to, to, to ask or not only to strive to be pure, but to actually give us a heart of purity. To help us become these things that God offers. It is a book of revelation. Where God reveals himself to us. He reveals the truth to us. He reveals things that only come when we take the time to accept and to have a revelation. It is a book that has to be approached with open hands. Where we create the space for these things to happen to us. These are not Analytical research subjects. These. This is a change of heart, mind, and soul. Uh, in Ephesians one seventeen, he says, "I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know Him better." I pray that the eyes of your heart. May be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I mean, what what an amazing scripture. What an amazing statement. Did you catch that? Did you did you catch what he said there? He said that that they may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may what? Know him better, knowing God better is essential to all these things that we are doing in Christianity. Jesus said, I will tell them away from me. I never knew you It was at the base of being God's people. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that we see with our hearts, not just our heads, not just the rational logical transfer of information, not just understanding the history and, 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 and the context of scripture, but that our heart would see what God is saying to us, what he is showing us, and understand this hope that we enjoy. In John's Gospel, in chapters 20 and 21, we read about the resurrection of Jesus. Mary did not recognize Jesus until he revealed himself. She was standing right there with Jesus. And she did not recognize him until he revealed himself. Peter was fishing and Jesus came to him and spoke to him. He did not recognize Jesus until he revealed himself. And sometimes we have to have a revelation. Things have to be revealed to us. In Luke 24, 13, on the road to a mouse, the, the, the famous conversation between the disciples and they're walking with Jesus. And it says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. We have to have our eyes open. Many times, how many times in prayer or study we have these epiphanies—that is the Holy Spirit opening your mind, giving you a revelation. But we have to understand that's part of the process here. It's part of what we're doing when I read or listen to the Bible. Am I open? Am I receptive? I mean, this is as I mentioned earlier. This is what the parable of the sower is all about—is how soft is our heart. And just because we've been in the church for decades does not mean that our hearts are soft. Remember, that parable was not given to Gentiles and to atheists. That parable was given to God's people to challenge our receptivity, to challenge how open we are to God's word. Uh, It was right after that where Jesus says the following, okay? And this is a lot to listen, but go ahead and listen to this. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes." and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you are, what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. I think we have to remember that all those great prophets, even the early Christians and the apostles, they didn't have Bibles. To be able to sit and just read. Boy would they have loved to have this recorded. To be able to see those scriptures. To be able to hear the word of God. And be encouraged by it. We are so blessed. But because we have the Bible. Because we have church. Because we even have good preachers. Does not mean that we understand. That we see. That we hear what is being said. And this is the great challenge for us, I think, especially in the 21st century. The Bible makes over 100 promises of blessings, promises of peace, promises of joy, promises of freedom, promises of purity and confidence. It gives us great promises, things that everybody wants. Everybody, non-Christians of every religion, of every background, everybody wants peace and joy and freedom and purity and confidence. And we, as God's people, should have the most abundant supply of this. And yet, like the world, we wrestle so much with anxiety, with depression, with guilt, with shame, with insecurity. Instead of the Bible helping us to dominate these issues, they often dominate us and cause us to struggle unnecessarily even. And I'm not saying that we won't have these things. Of course we will have them. We are not different from the world in the sense that we we don't have struggles. We have the same struggles of anxiety and depression and guilt and shame and insecurity. The question is, are we being set free by God's word? Is it giving us the life and the energy, the power that was promised? Could it be that we are failing to properly use scripture? Could it be as what Richard Foster said, we have not achieved a grasp of the Bible that is adequate to our needs. Adequate to our needs because the, the word of God is living and active. Remember Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that testify on my behalf. We have to remember that many of the experts in the law failed to recognize the Messiah. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. It wasn't a lack of access to Scripture. They were missing something far more important. Jesus is the living Word of God, but they missed that. And reading Scripture is not merely the gathering of information. We must read for more than information, we must read for transformation what has been called holy expectancy, a dialogue of the Spirit. Go, we go to Scripture with an expectation, a holy expectation. God will change my heart. God will speak to me. The Holy Spirit will move in me. My spirit and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will interact in ways I can't even talk about. I don't even fully understand. But we have to have that holy expectancy. What Micah says in Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of Scripture? Is it not to love God? Is it not to love each other? Is it not to love the lost, the hurting, the suffering? Is it not to love God's creation and protect it? What is the purpose of scripture? Is it not to make us one, you and I? Is it not to remind us everything Jesus taught us? Is it not to transform us in his image, continually being transformed? Maybe we should read not merely to know more, not merely to do more, but rather to To be more. It's so much easier to have a religion of knowing stuff, knowing information, knowing data. It's so so much easier to have a religion of just do and do not. But the true religion, the religion that Jesus told the Samaritan woman that God seeks. That those who will worship in truth and spirit. We must pay most careful attention, the writer of Hebrews wrote, said. We must pay most the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We we, we cannot let our minds drift. We cannot fail to pay attention. Not when it comes to God's word. We live in a world of distractions multitasking has become a philosophy of life where everybody's doing multiple things. (laughs) I read a stat the other day, over 3000 people die every year from texting while they're driving. One of the, in some States, the number one cause of car accidents. That's more people dying than in September 11th in the, in the disaster in New York. From what? From not paying attention, from multitasking. It's literally causing people to lose their lives. But we become so addicted to multitasking that we can't even sit through a Sunday sermon. We can't read our Bibles without checking our emails and doing other things at the same time. With our phone buzzing or dinging or or doing something to draw our attention away. And we're constantly distracted. So the ability to focus, to pay as scripture calls us, careful attention. To focus our minds. It is a spiritual discipline. It is key. It is key. To our spirituality. To not be skimming in life. We skim through texts, We skim through emails. I do it all the time. We skim through books. We skim through quiet conversations sometimes. We, we are skimming through life. We are skimming through relationships. Or are we? And I know that. There is a strong connection with how well I pay attention and listen to my wife and how well my marriage is doing. I cannot skim a relationship. Are we skimming through the Bible? Are we skimming God? We all do it. I know that I do it. But part of my spiritual discipline is to not skim Scripture, to not let myself skim prayer, to not let myself skim anything That is truly important. As I was doing research for this, I couldn't believe I ran into a cliff notes of the New Testament. That's like the epitome of what we're talking about. Give me just the summary and the the, the nitty gritty and, and that'll be enough. No. No. Every word in there is important. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me you see that? You see the focus here. You see the attention given. You see the relationship that comes out of that. How did that happen? Well, this is very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went out to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus took the time, made the time, created the space, if you will, to connect and be close to God. To 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 make sure and 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 we all know that didn't happen once or twice. That that was Jesus' ethos. That was his way of being. It's recorded in Mark fourteen, in Mark six, Luke four, and of course right there in Mark one, to take that time in silence and solitude to meditate, to contemplate, to be mindful, to practice examen, the time where you evaluate, how am I doing? How's how how how's my relationship? When do I feel close to God? What is helping me? to feel close to god it's it's what spiritual disciplines are all about these practices to ensure these things they are not goals in and of themselves the goal is never to 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 perform spiritual disciplines spiritual disciplines are simply a tool the goal is to be one with god is to hear the holy spirit when he whispers when he speaks to us and sometimes that involves getting away to a silent to 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 have silence and solitude not once every 3 or 4 months not on a sabbatical not on not even merely the sabbath although the sabbath is incredibly important but even on a daily basis in a way of life asking god for revelation asking god for discernment creating that space and i know this is this is can be very challenging for us especially with our cultural background in the restoration movement of everything being rational and logical and having that as our approach to scripture. Things that are mystical, that are spiritual, are experiential. We tend to be very suspicious and sometimes even very antagonist towards. We we, we can have a bias against anything mystical. Oh, that's the Catholics. That's the Eastern Orthodox. Let them do that stuff. And yet, that stuff is exactly what Jesus did. It is exactly what Paul taught. I love this quote from Ruth Haley Barton, and we're starting to wrap up here. Uh, She says, There are times when a leader's deepest longing is to hear a word from the Lord. Beyond the muddle of our thoughts and ideas and brainstorming sessions, we long for an encounter with God that will penetrate all of that and bring some clarity to our situation. She gives the analogy of a jar of of river water and it's all shaken up. It's just, you can't see through it. It's just a jar of mud. But as it settles, if you set it down and let it be still, the mud begins to settle and you end up with clear water or a clear mind, a clear heart, right? One of the great practices that we don't have time to go into, but I want to at least introduce it, is Lectio Divina, or what is divine reading. And it's not an exegesis. It's not the things that we're learning about in this conference. It's not about exegesis. It's not about critical textual analysis. It's about reading for depth over breadth. It's about reading with mind, heart, and soul. It's about stopping to meditate to contemplate and creating space for revelation, for connection. It was origin in the third century who called this idea of the scripture as a sacrament, as something holy in it of itself, that scripture in it of itself is holy. It has a power of itself. It being the word of God to seek in reading. And you will find in meditation, knock in prayer and it will be open to you in contemplation. St. John of the Cross, a 15th century mystic. And he, uh, he uh, breaks it down. Of course, he weaves it into Scripture. But how this process goes in Lectio Divina, and it's asking ourselves. In Romans 10, 8, Paul writes, But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart, That is the message of faith that we preach. Taking the time. There are four key elements. There's lectio, which is to read. There's meditation, which is to reflect. There's oratio, which is to pray. And then there's contemplatio, which is to contemplate. Now, I've read different models. They're they're all very similar. They all have these four elements where you read, you reflect. You read again and you pray. You read again and you contemplate. And you're not breaking down the Greek and you're not breaking down the history. You're not looking at the literature. You're you're just reading and reflecting and praying and contemplating. These are incredibly important practices that I think are essential for our spiritual growth and our spiritual formation. In Psalm 46, 10, he says, classic, classic scripture, says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If we just stop and consider this, just think about this, to be still and know that I am God. There are a number of books that I would recommend for those of you who'd like to learn more. Uh, David Brenner's Opening to God. These are all approaches to Lectio Divina and understanding the importance of the Word of God. Richard Foster's Life with God. Jan Johnson's Meeting God in Scripture. And my own website, which I am uh, working on right now to post even Lectio Divinas and meditations, The com, And those will be being posted in the coming months. Uh, I would encourage you if you have the time and the interest to go ahead and go there the way the pilgrim.com so in summary and in, in conclusion what are we talking about we're talking about slowing down about being still quieting the inner silence of our minds being silent the outward silence going to a place that is solitary that is quiet that is silent asking god to give us insight, to reveal things to us. Keep your folder and your pen next to you because believe me, God answers that prayer. I have enjoyed so many, so much of my time with God in the last few years at a level that I never before even knew was 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 possible. Uh, being present, being mindful, being honest about who we are and where we're at and what's going on inside us. Being open, receptive to God's Whisper to God's nudge, to the Holy Spirit, moving, contemplating the things that we are reading, meditating on them and allowing ourselves to discover things that we did not see when we were skimming. And of course, obeying and practicing, which is a key component in all of this. This is the course. And I just end with this reading. And I want you to just close your eyes and just listen. Take a deep breath. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. God bless you and buen camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.